I'll remind you that next week, neighborhood groups will be meeting. To me, one of the most unusual books of the Old Testament is Hosea. And I'd like to uh, look at that this morning, at least a part of it. The Old Testament prophets, there were a number that did very unusual things. This is one of the more unusual stories, uh, not the most unusual. Um, but uh, in this particular book, the prophet Hosea is told by the Lord, I want you to go marry a prostitute because that's how I see your, our relationship with his, my relationship with Israel. And so uh, he says, uh, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. Um, most of us can thank the Lord we never had a call that way. But uh, he does. He goes and finds a gal named Gomer. Uh, there's, <laughs> yeah, it's too easy. I'm just going <laughs> to leave that one alone. Uh, if you had a name like that, no. <laughs> no. Who would name their daughter Gomer? Uh, anyway. I'm sure it was a special name for that day. <laughs> it, uh, it gets more in, unusual. This family starts in dysfunction and it, it increases. He says, uh, says, regarding the first child born of that union, he says, name him Jezreel. And what it is, is God's saying, I don't like what Jehu did at Jezreel, so I want him to know that he's going to be punished for that. And so there's this picture of punishment hanging over this child's name. But the next daughter, the next child that's born is a daughter, and uh, he says, name her no mercy, because I'm not going to show Israel mercy. How would you like to have your name, no mercy? Um, and then to the son that's born next, he says, name them not my people, because they're not my people at this point. So, uh, you know, you can imagine the family dynamic. Imagine mom was thrilled with these names, right? Or, or just this whole interaction, it, it's messy. But what the Lord is saying is, is, my connection to this group of people is messy. It's messed up. And it, it needs to get straightened out. And he says, later on though, in this first chapter even, the Lord is, is like saying, this is our situation, but I'm going to call you back. You know, this is... This is the way it looks, but he says, you know, for those that uh, are not my people, it is going to be said of them, they're children of the living God. And, and so he says, I am going to bring restoration in this, even though it's, it's, it's crazy and ridiculous. The second chapter is much the same way. Um, and there's some of this picture is, with Israel, and some of it is the actual interaction of this prophet with his wife. But he says, plead with your mother, for she's not my wife, I'm not her husband. Plead with her that she'd put away her whoring. 
and upon her children. And it says, I will have no mercy because they're children of whoredom. He says, I, they're not mine. I don't. Now, I've talked with enough of you that are of blended families to know that oftentimes it gets really complicated, doesn't it? You know, I've, I've talked with ones who, you know, he wanted my mother, he didn't want me. And that's a brutal thing to live through. But this is, this is the kind of picture that we're looking at in this setting. And, and God's saying to the people of Israel, this is the way it looks to me. This is the way that our interactions are going. I've loved you and cared for you, but you've chosen to kind of go and find other lovers. In the second chapter, he says, and regarding Israel, I'm going to hedge her way up with thorns. I'm going to build a wall against her so she can't find the paths to go chasing her lovers. I'm going to put some barriers in the way so it doesn't work out. And then he says, I will go and, re and she's going to say, I'll go and return to my husband, for it was better for me then than now. So God's telling Israel, he says, I'm going to put some thorns and, and things in the way that force you to turn back to me. But he also says, I'm going to uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers. No one will rescue her out of my hand. I'll put an end to all her mirth. So there's tension, you know, and you're kind of, this is Bible? Why would, he, why would he be called it? Why would, he, you know, why would they have this interaction? In that same chapter later on, he says, in that day, you will call me my husband. And he says, I will have mercy on no mercy. And I'll say, not my people, you are my people, you're my God. In other words, he says, I'm going to draw back my wife, but I'm also going to bring the children and call them mine. So God is saying, even though I'm going to bring punishment in this setting, he says, you need to know my love is not going to be scattered. It's not going to be removed. I, because of who he is, he continues to reach out to us. And in a, in a larger sense, you know, when we wrestle with, does God still want me? Would God see me? You know, when we see ourselves as adulterous and having wandered, the question comes up, would he love me again? Would he care for me? And it's a book like this that we're drawn to because there's this picture that says, yeah, I'm going to pull you back into relationship with me. The third chapter, it, it, it just stays strange at this point because it, apparently they had separated. And, it, and the Lord says, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another and is an adulteress. And he says, so I went and I bought her. Brought her, brought her into my house. And said, you've got to dwell with me for a long time not to play the whore or belong to another man, so I will also be to you. God says, if I have to buy you back, I'm going to. But I, I want you in my life. And, and so, you know, again, this very unusual story. 
And uh, it says, afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God, David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. It says there's a future day where they'll return, they'll come back. It says this is, this is the hand of God in this situation. The book concludes with whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right and upright. Walk in them, but the transgressors stumbled in them. Now, what I'd like to do for the next few minutes is as I was reading this, I started thinking about different marriage busters, so to speak. Things that cause relationships to come apart. And trying to put it in today's terms, because you know, that's a, the, the picture that we read there is one that you just don't see often, right, of that measure. But there are things that, that we can look at and say, both in marriage and in relationship to God, these things don't work. You know, as was mentioned with the adulteress or the, the whoring of a partner, sexual promiscuity doesn't work when it comes to marriage, before or during. You know, you can, you can have a lot of lovers before you get married, but it still messes you up in marriage. You know, you, you still have a lot of things to work through when you go to straighten it out, even when you want to make it right. You know, it's, it's not simple to just shut off uh, guilt and shame that were associated with the sex act. It, it's not easy to turn away from other cravings. And so that dynamic gets pulled into your marriage, even though you say, I want to make it right now. It's not as simple as just saying, okay, I'm married, it's all done. It's good now. Because what you had before wasn't a substitute for marriage, it was a distraction. It wasn't to just tide you over until you got married. It doesn't work that way. It's been an amazing thing for couples to wake up and say, I have a beautiful partner, a wonderful partner, but my head is still going off in other directions because you never learned the discipline before you got married. Some, you know, love the chase so much that it's pretty hard to shut it off when you get married. Learn to enjoy the, the attention. Learn to, you know, in a sense, thrive with the adoration. And then to try to say, well, just my partner? Complicated. Or you get up, caught up in the present, you know, with pornography or, or affairs and, or, or even the the thirst for such, and it siphons off the energy you have for your partner that's appropriately theirs. <laughs> or you're bringing children into a mixed setting and, and it's, it's difficult. 
But that said, that's the complications of marriage. But what Hosea's done is saying, when your attention turns away and you chase everything else but God, he says, that's, that's a very similar thing. And you get all caught up in other things that you love, but you're unwilling to address God or turn your attention to him. He says he feels jilted. And he feels a loss in that relationship. And it's appropriate. But he says that's, that's the setting that we saw in Hosea. Uh, but that's, that's one of the factors. There's others that... It, in, in the book of Hosea, he says, you got very satisfied. I blessed you. I gave you favor. Your crops were great. Everything was going good. You got so happy with that, you just kind of forgot me. And I was thinking of the whole connection even with, with finances. You know, there's extremes, both good and bad in the Lord. Extremes where you don't inquire of them at all and things turn out disastrous. Or when things are going so good that you just don't put any attention to him. And so it's business all week long, and you come in Sunday morning, love you, God, see you later, got work to do. And he's gone, that's not enough. Kissing goodbye, got to run. Doesn't work in marriage, doesn't work. I mean, I've watched numerous guys chasing wealth, and destroy their marriages out of it. Got to be gone every hour. Got to be working every hour. Can't put any time into the marriage and then wonder why it falls apart. Here's one on the, <laughs> here's one on the other extreme. If, if you're married to a partner and uh, they go blow 40000 at the casino, you'd be a little upset, right? Or if they got into coke and had a really good time for a few, and there went the money. You'd be bothered by that. Um, or if you did a long, slow business failure, it has its impact on a marriage. What if you spend your money beforehand and you come into marriage with 40,000 of school debt and no marketable skill. Is it any different? At some point, there needs to be an apology to your partner. It says, I, I messed up. I didn't spend carefully. And I came into this thing with uh, some real trouble. Now, that's not to say that that person's not going to love you or that you can't work through it, but you need to know that if you're just making decisions and choosing a major because it sounds cool or it just seems like a pleasant thing to do, but there's no inquiry of God regarding such and no sense of go-ahead in Him, then you're setting yourself up for crisis. And in the same way, we can look at that and say, if, if God is not brought into our financial decisions and not given credit for the things that are going well, then really he's been taken out of the equation and, and he doesn't want to have that. 
any more than you want to have a relationship with someone that didn't consider you in the equation and just chose to go a different path. So don't just allow carelessness to, to allow you to get by. And, and there are times when it's completely appropriate to say, I apologize for this compulsive spending that I did. You know, because it, it hurt us. It didn't just hurt me. It didn't hurt, it hurt us. You know, what about selfishness? You know, it's that thing of, I want my way. Sometimes it's a dominating and controlling pride that says, I'm the one that knows, so let's do it my way. And really all it is is I want for me. You know in marriage that doesn't work. But also it doesn't work to, to take that attitude before God and just say, I want it this way, please bless this. or the refusal to cooperate in anything that the other would have because it might take away from my moments. Or just the chasing of, of entertainment and, and such that, you know, says, I, I, I just want to do something for me. It doesn't work in marriage, but it doesn't work in the Lord either. And that's what we have to be aware of. What if, what if we fail to harness our anger? Here's another one. I mean, if, if you're all the time exploding, that works crisis in a marriage. Or if you're on the other, the other side that you just kind of shut down, close up, and just say, you know, um, I'm going to disengage and become bitter. That's not healthy either, right? But often in the Lord, it's, why did this happen? Or it's, a, I don't get them. I, don't, I just, you know, it's better not even to think about it. Neither one is appropriate. And there's a need to keep interacting. And a need to keep pushing toward that relationship. So I, I, I throw these things out and I'm going, okay, we have the illustration of Hosea and it's so freaky to us that it's easy to just kind of go right on past it or to try to say, I don't get the Old Testament, but I read it once a year, so here we go. Um, or it's to say, okay, I see that, but I know that there's things for me today as well. And I need to respond when I see it. And if I realize that God would choose to relate to us as in marriage, then I need to understand that in those dynamics of marriage, the things that make a marriage work and make it healthy are the same things in relationship to God that make us healthy in Him. And what an honor it is that we have Him willing to call us a loving partner and to draw us to Him, and to say, I'm not giving up on this thing, but I'm going to keep at it. And so that we, in a sense, turn as well and say, I'm going to keep at this thing as well. And I'm going to rid myself of the things that would destroy this partnership and relationship. 
I'm going to see that they're gone so that we can walk in health together, both in this life and with Him. Lord, we thank You for Your Scripture. We thank You that it speaks life to us. We pray that You'll make us wise in our relationships, in our loving relationships here on earth, in our loving relationship with You. Amen.